You're listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. This whole month we've been talking about the, uh, Christmas in the Mill Sunday School. We've been reading the Christmas story, but here's where it really is. Here's We finally get to the baby being born. We read the story about Mary and the dream she had and her prayer and her song. But now let's read Luke chapter 2, verse 1. And it says, In the days of Caesar Augustus, he issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. That's a big area around the Mediterranean. This was the first census that took place while Curianus was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. Verse 4 says, So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house in the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who he was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. They were just engaged then. And verse 6 says, While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And that's how our Savior is born. Let's uh, bow our heads and pray. I'm going to ask Bill to come forward and, and pray for us to begin our time. Oh, Father, thank you for your spirit, which you will use to enlighten us through your servant, Pastor Joseph. And uh, we pray that you would be, you would bring forth a, a fresh vision of your son's birth to us that we will understand and, and, and embrace Jesus Christ in a whole new way today. Thank you so much that you were willing to give us your son so that we could be with you. We love you with all our hearts, minds, and souls. Thank you very much. Amen. Amen. All right, everybody. Um, I just want to welcome you here. If you're newish to the mill or to the mill Sunday school, um, I have uh, some of these. You can find some of these at the back table. If you've never been to the mill or to Sunday school, uh, it's the same card. It's your first-timer card. We have a gift to give you just to say thank you for coming and checking out the Mill Sunday School. And so we just want you to have a cool place to come and learn and study about God with your fellow nerd fighters. Well, all this year, I mean all this month, uh, we've been studying Christmas. We talked about Santa Claus. Do you remember that last week? We talked about Christmas trees. We talked about giving and presents. And the main theme of Christmas, even to non-Christians, they celebrate giving around the time of Christmas, which is just so appropriate because Christmas, you realize, is when the real reason for the season, of course, is Jesus, which is the true, the best gift the world has ever known. And that's what we're going to talk about all this morning in the Mill Sunday School. We're going to talk about Jesus as the gift of God. We're going to talk about some big word called incarnation. Are you ready to get a little nerdy in here? Are you ready to talk about theology? I'm going to give you a big word. It's called incarnation. On your notes, it should be, you should have got some notes when you're in here. If you didn't, you could uh, walk around and try to find some. I don't even know where you get them from. (laughs) Um, But in your notes, there should be the word incarnation there. And incarnation, does anybody know what that means? Do you know? It means in the flesh or embodied in flesh. Not, not to get gruesome on you, but carne 
could mean um, flesh or even meat. And so when you're in a Mexican restaurant and you order carne asada, <laughs> you get grilled meat, and it's really good, and I highly recommend that. Um, but that has nothing to do with the incarnation. Incarnation. I always picture God being in heaven with, like, angels and clouds. And you know that our God did not stay there. Our God isn't the God that's just up there kind of and doing his own thing. But he came down to this earth in the form of Jesus. He became God on this earth through Jesus, and we call that the incarnation. It's a big theological word. And so that's your first word, first theological word of the, of the day as we study Christmas, is that Christmas is the celebration of God becoming incarnate in the flesh. And the next thing I want to look at um, is the virgin birth. The virgin birth is important to our faith as believers. You know, sometimes you have conversations with people that really aren't believers or are kind of believers. They may come from a more liberal stream or a more Unitarian stream, uh, calling themselves Christians. But we as evangelicals would differentiate ourselves from them in one area that we believe the Bible is the Word of God. And if it says that Mary was a virgin, then we believe that because the Bible says it. And we believe it because it's a miracle. But we're the kind of people that believe in miracles, right? And so we believe in the virgin birth, which I think is very important. I'm going to tell you two reasons why the virgin birth is so important. But before we get into the two reasons why the virgin birth is important, I want to show you a clip from this movie, The Nativity Story. Have you seen it? Raise your hand if you've seen it. It came out last year, last Christmas. Um, if you haven't seen it, you should watch it this Christmas. I'm going to, I'm going to show you a clip. And it's, it's a seven-minute clip, and so you'll have to pay attention the whole time. <laughs> Because it's hard to keep track of things for seven minutes. I know it's brutal. Um, but the clip does two things. The first part of the clip is where Joseph and Mary get engaged. Now, how, how many of you um, like hearing, uh, probably all the girls like hearing engagement stories? Like, oh, how did you get engaged? Was there flowers? Did he get down on one knee? What did he do? Did he do this and that? Um, the, Joseph and Mary's engagement story, this is obviously a reenactment. They didn't have cameras back then. Um, <laughs> But you're, if you're a girl and you like romantic uh, <laughs> engagement stories, you're not going to like this one. Um, <laughs> and then it goes into, it says several months later, and then it comes into a scene where Mary comes back from a trip. And it's obvious that her belly's getting a little big. And she's engaged to Joseph. And they were not, they're just engaged. They're not supposed to have, um, you know how babies come from, right? When a man and a woman love each other very much. They come together. And uh, that was not supposed to happen. And here she is with a child. And I always think, maybe I don't think about this, but here, here's a woman with child claiming that she never had sex, claiming that um, she hadn't committed adultery or had sex outside of wedlock. And uh, there's just some obvious things that probably went around with that, like some accusations. And so as you watch this clip, um, I guess just picture yourself in Mary's shoes. Let's roll it, shall we? You know, Joseph, you will be his wife. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the world, who sanctified Israel by chuppah and betrothal.
Teşekkür. The law says you will stay with us for another year. Then you will go into his house. You will consider him your husband now in all manner except that which leads to family. On that you must wait. building a house enough for a family Joseph. Joseph. An angel told you this. That you would be the son of God. Mary. Elizabeth had a baby. Even in her old age. Elizabeth has a husband. No vow. Oh, you have broken every vow, Mary. Was it one of her soldiers? Was it? I have told the truth. Whether you believe is your choice, not mine. Let me speak. 
Joseph. Do you know? Do you know the reason I chose you, Mary? I believed you were a woman of great virtue. I have lived my life seeking honor. Honor. Mary, so how am I to answer this? Claim this child is mine, I will be lying. I will have broken a law laid down by God. I would never ask you to lie. If I say this child is not mine, they will ask what I want to do. And if I accuse you, a will for this child, greater than my fear of what they may do. I will make no accusation. Without that, there can be no trial. You have shown great mercy, Joseph. For that, I will be thankful. The Bible tells us that the next thing that happens is uh, Joseph has a dream. <clears throat> and in that dream, God speaks to him and says that what Mary's saying is true, that the, God, that the baby is from God, and, and then you are still to continue to be engaged. And then Mary then become the the child's father. And that's the story. That's, uh, that's, I think, something that we kind of forget about. We just kind of glance over the idea that, oh, yeah, Mary was a virgin and the virgin birth of, of Jesus. But I think there was some serious things that probably happened to Mary, some accusations. And in the Old Testament, you know what the punishment is for committing adultery? Yeah, the, Mary's mother said they could take you and they could stone you in the streets for committing adultery, which was Old Testament law. And yet Joseph didn't make an accusation. Then he has a dream where God speaks to him. And, and so the first reason, I, mean, I have two reasons why we should believe in the virgin birth. Reason number one was it was God's plan. Reason number one, it was God's plan that Mary was to be born, uh, excuse me, <laughs> that Jesus was to be born from Mary, from a virgin. And let me show you something very, very cool. If you've never seen this, this is about to blow your mind. Um, turn to Isaiah Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Some of you know where we're going. Maybe you've seen this before. It's so cool. You know that Isaiah is a, is a book written around 600 B.C. Did you know that? And so 600 years, you know what B.C. stands for? <laughs> yeah, before Christ. Uh, and so 600 years before Christ is born, this verse is written. Isaiah 7, 14, it says, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with the child and will birth a son and will call him Emmanuel. You know what the Hebrew word Emmanuel means? It's, yeah, God with us. It's a Christmas word. It's a Hebrew word. It means God with us. That God's son named God will be with us, will be born 
from a virgin. And this is prophesied about 600 years before the coming of Jesus. And so reason number one to, to truly believe in that, that Mary had a, had a son without ever having sexual relationships was, is something that we should believe in because it was God's plan that this would be a miraculous event from God. Um, reason number two um, for believing in the virgin birth is that it proves Jesus' perfect divinity. It proves Jesus' perfect divinity. It's, it's basically a miracle that shows that Jesus was not just a normal human coming to this earth like any, any, of, any of us. Jesus was not just a good teacher. He was not just a good guy that kind of took some sins of the world upon him. And he was a good guy that took some sins. No, Jesus was God himself. And so believing in the virgin birth is, is saying, yes, I believe in the miracle that Jesus was, in fact, perfectly divine. And so what I'm going to talk about is this is kind of going to take you on a rabbit trail. Are you okay with rabbit trails? But it's a good one. It's a really good rabbit trail. Um, we have to talk about original sin. I think that might, is that in your note? Is original sin in your notes? No? Okay, I apologize. Um, you could just put that down. Original sin is something that, that we believe in as Christians. We believe that we're born into this world and we, have a, we are born with the image of God. In Latin, the phrase is amago Dei. We're born with this image of God inside of us. It says that in the book of Genesis. It says that we are humans, both male and female, have the image of God inside of them. So every one of us are born with the image of God. But we're also born with, with a sinful nature already inside of us. Original sin, the sin that's been passed on because of the sins of Adam. Augustine, have you ever heard of St. Augustine, as the Catholic Church calls him? St. Augustine, or it's even pronounced Augustine, who lived in uh, the, the 400s A.D., uh, wrote all this Christian stuff. He wrote down huge treatises of theology and talked about original sin. And he put it in these terms. He said this. He said that babies, even though they're cute and they're lovely and they're precious, and me and Erica um, during church services often like look at babies and like, did you see that one? He's so fat. Look at his cheeks. <laughs> <laughs> that's just what we like to do. Um, if you're wondering, we're going to wait a couple years before we have a baby, but we're excited about that. Um, and so babies, while they're cute and they're cuddly and they're nice and they're helpless and precious and need to be fed, if they had the power, this is what Augustine says, it, Augustine said if they had the power, if they wanted to, if they wanted their milk and they weren't getting their milk, then they would scratch and claw and bite, do anything in order to get because there's, 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 something, there's two natures inside of them, the image of God and the sinful nature inside of them. And they haven't developed a moral code yet to understand that they, they can't um, terrorize things. <laughs> Let me tell it this way. This is a better story. This is a funner story. However, you might be offended. Um, when, I was, <laughs> when I was in Guatemala, I was on a mission trip. And um, that we were, it was after we went to this church service and we were helping build this church and we went to this church service. And then afterwards were all these little kids from the church. And so they're little kids. I mean, little, like three-year-olds, maybe four-year-olds, tiny little kids doing something kind of behind the church and hiding. And I was like, what are they doing? And what they were doing was there was like this little cliff, maybe five feet, the kind of a cliff thing that kind of rolled down a hill into a little river. And they were running up to it and putting food by the cliff. And then they would run behind the church building. And so they're over here. All these little kids, maybe like four or five of them, are just kind of looking around. And they're like, what are these kids doing? And, and then a dog comes. 
these kids are little, mind you, not like eighth graders or, you know, mean middle schoolers. They're little kids. And, and the dog would come and start eating the food. It's like bread or something. And then the kids would just, ah, run out and run up to the dog. <laughs> and they would kick the dog down the hill and he'd roll into the river. And the kids thought that was so funny. <laughs> it's terrible. I know. It really is. They were, they were herding animals, and, and no, one, they didn't, no one taught them how to do this. No one set these kids aside and said, here's how you have fun after church. Um, these kids were just doing it naturally. It just, there's two natures inside of everyone, the good, the image of God, and an evil, a sinful nature inside of us that must be overcome, and we're born with that. And so follow me, if you will, to um, Romans 5.12 has a verse about, um, about just how sin is passed on. And it says, uh, let me find it. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, sin entered the world through one man, that, that man is Adam, and death and sin, and that way came to all men because all have sinned. And so basically this verse is kind of saying that, that, that because Adam sinned, one man sinned, Adam we are all now sinners. And, um, and that's a really interesting verse. And what I'm going to talk about now is kind of um, a blending of, of science and Bible. And um, it's not, I was talking to this about somebody who likes to talk about theological stuff. And they were like, that's a silly theory. It's silly. There's other ways of explaining this. And of course there is. But you guys like silly theories, right? Some of you do. Listen to this. Um, I, I have all these books in my office, like all these theology books, and um, like probably a thousand books. I don't know, a thousand maybe if you've seen my office. Just all these books. And, of course, you come in and you're, everyone asks, have you read all these books? No, of course I haven't read all these books. They're trophies. <laughs> I just like to pretend I do. <laughs> but um, <laughs> that's what I always say. It's really funny to me. But they're just like, oh, okay. Um, uh, there's one section of books that's like my old biology books. So there's biology, ornithology, microbiology, chemistry, physics, textbooks from college because that's what my degree was in in college. And Aaron Stern was just making fun of me the other day saying, what are these books in here for? You're never going to use these. You're never going to look at these. I said, yeah, I do. I look at them all the time. Said, no, you don't. <laughs> but just it so happens that for this lesson, I was studying chromosomes and I found that, um, and stay with me here, this is, a little, this is the weird part of the theory, if you don't mind, is that uh, there's 46 chromosomes in the human um, genome, the human uh, DNA, 23 pairs. And so when um, a man and a woman love each other very much and they come together, um, there's, of course, the sperm and the egg. And the sperm and the egg have half the amount of chromosomes so that when they are united into a zygote or an embryo, they have the full chromosomes, 46 chromosomes, 23 pairs. And what's so interesting about this verse, and here's where it might get a little weird, and this is not written in the Bible because the Bible isn't a scientific textbook, but here's what's cool that I like to think about, and it kind of, it, it really does um, give authority to the virgin birth in, in some sense, I think, is that the egg, Mary having a child in her womb, that the egg was, was probably from her body, that, that women produce eggs and all that, and you took sixth grade health class, right? <laughs> And, um, and so the egg is from Mary. Half the, the gametes are from, uh, the, half the genes, the chromosomes are from Mary. But then the other half are not from a normal father, that, that, from a normal sperm. You could think of it as if 
God himself impregnated Mary. And I don't want to get too specific because that's just weird. Um, <laughs> but you can think about it is that, is that the genes from the, the other half of the genes came from God himself. And so, and so the idea here is that if sin is um, introduced, if babies really are born with original sin, the, the dual nature of the image of God and a sinful nature inside of them because Adam sinned, that this baby being born from a virgin did not have the, the sin that could have been passed on from the man's seed. And so therefore, he would still be totally human and yet totally sinless. No sin nature inside of them. Have you ever heard that before? No, <laughs> you're all looking at me like, I don't know what that means. Maybe you haven't heard it before. Maybe it's interesting. It should just be interesting. It should give glory to the virgin birth, whether you kind of accept it or not, or whether you're just kind of like, that's a cool theory, but Joe, it's really silly. Um, either way, it, it lends itself to what we're going to talk about next, which is totally true, which is not just a scientific idea that Joe has that's, that's a weird little ideas, but it's called the hypostatic union. Do you see that in your notes? It's another big theological term. It's called the hypostatic union union and and this is and i don't just mean to give you big theological terms around christmas time but this this has this is really what christmas is all about that jesus was born incarnate that he was god made in the flesh from a virgin um and that he was 100 percent god in 100 percent man that's what hypostatic union means it's the union that that somehow jesus could be 100 percent god and 100% a human being at the same time. Is it possible to be 100% of two things? If I said I'm 100% Irish and 100% German, what would you do? You'd just be like, Joe, that's, what are you talking about? Don't you mean 50-50? And I would say, oh yeah, 50-50. Um, but Jesus, and that's why, that's why the term hypostatic union is used, because it's a mystery as to how Jesus could be God, totally God, and yet Jesus, totally a human being at the same exact time. It's that tension. It's that mystery of how those two 100% things can both be true at the same time. Because here's what we believe. We believe that, um, well, here's what we don't believe. I've, I've heard it said like this, and this is not what we believe. That, that maybe if you're explaining it to kids, a simple way to do it might be to say that, oh, Jesus was just God in a human suit, like a Halloween human skin, that God came down and put on some human skin, and that's what who Jesus was. And, and kids might be like, oh, I kind of understand that now. But that's really, we like, we're nerd fighters in here, and we like to get a little more serious than that. And that is not the way, that is not a good way to explain the hypostatic union. Because if that was true, then Jesus on the cross, the baby's born in the manger, becomes a human, and ends up dying for our sins on the cross. His suffering would be just like, well, then we could say, if it was just the God and the human suit, then we would say that, oh, just the human suit suffered as he was on the cross. And so it would be like a kid trick-or-treating, um, and it, maybe his Batman cape rips. It's like, oh, that's just the cape. That's not the kid. The kid's fine. The Batman cape ripped. Um, but that's not our God. That's not who Jesus was. It wasn't just God in a human suit. It was 100% God and 100% human. So that means two things are true. That because he was God, he is totally able to save us. 
because he himself is God, and only God can truly save us. And at the same time, he was totally human. So that means that he totally knows what it's like to suffer, to be hurt, to, to have pain. It says also in the New Testament that Jesus wept. It says that he was suffering, that he was in pain, that these two things that are 100% true, that he, he is God and human, were together at the same time. And I think that really has a lot to say to answer the question of why. When people start asking why, the big why, the hugest why, the why that asks, why do bad things happen to good people? There, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give some... I guess kind of answer that question this morning, and it comes from the Christmas story, and I hope to pull that all together for you in in just a minute. But some religions try to answer the question of why do bad things happen to good people by saying that maybe God isn't really good. And, And Islam would kind of lean this direction and say that Allah, whatever Allah does is what Allah does, and he can do whatever he wants. Whatever he does is Allah's will. And so if Allah wants to make you suffer then that's Allah's will. And maybe suffering is not good, but who cares? It's what, Allah, it's what Allah wants and it's what he does. And so Islam would kind of say that, well, Allah really isn't good, like we would define goodness. And other religions, like maybe Hinduism, might say that, oh, the gods aren't powerful enough to help you. If you pray to Vishnu that something bad won't happen, but then that something bad does happen, then if you're a Hindu, you might say, well, Vishnu is looking out for me, but maybe Vishnu just wasn't powerful enough for this tragedy that took place. And so, but as Christians, we believe that, that God is, is both good, totally good, and totally all-powerful all at the same time, right? Think about it. He's all good, and he's all-powerful at the same time. And so for that reason, we can kind of ask the question, why do bad things happen then? Why wouldn't God stop horrible things from happening? And so I want you um, to kind of think about this um, at your tables. I have these little, little slips of paper that, say, that just said, Mill Sunday School, why do bad things happen to good people? And I'm sure you've all in your lifetime heard some answers as to why maybe bad things happen to good people. And so I want you to just quickly write down some of the ideas you've heard. You don't necessarily have to believe in them or like them. You don't necessarily have to um, think they're wonderful or great or maybe they're bad or good. I just want you to kind of brainstorm and get some ideas out as to why bad things might happen to good people. Would you do that within, within the next 60 seconds? Hmm, that's good. So if I was to re- reinstate, uh, I would say that you, you just said that bad things happen for two reasons. One, because we're in a fallen world. And bad things are just happened because of the sinful world that we live in. And number two, that God could potentially be working it out for the good. In other words, what could happen? Did any of you get those two? You got those two? Does anybody else want to stand up and say a different one than that? I mean, there's lots of potential answers. Yes, sir. Go ahead. What you're saying. So you would say, so free will. If God took away the potential for something bad, for someone to act bad or for bad things to happen, then he would be, in a sense, taking away free will. A portion of free will. An element of free will. That's a really good answer. Did any of you get that? Something about free will? Let me, um, I want to kind of share, the, it's, it's obvious to me why we're kind of talking about this new life, obviously experienced a tragedy last week, and that's a very bad thing, that what, what happened right here in this building, 
And um, I think the hypostatic union, not to get too theological, or the, the incarnation, the Christmas story has something to say to people that are suffering. And here's what it is. It's, it's the idea that, that Jesus is suffering with you. Let me explain. I, I guess I could retell, I guess, my portion of, I was here last week after, uh, after church. I was in the Tag Chapel right here, actually. Um, Jack Hayford was going to come and, and speak to those that are in the King's College or faculty of the King's College. And so me and Erica were in here. We were at a table right over there, and the door was open, and we heard a gunshot. Last week, it was around 1.30. Um, of course, all of you were somewhere. I mean, if you were in the building, you knew you knew exactly where you were when you heard that shot. Um, there was one at first, and we, I heard it, and I um, knew immediately that it was a gunshot. And, and people around were like, was that a gunshot? Was that a trash can? And I was instantly just overcome with fear. And, and I, I looked at Erica and said, we got to get out of here. And we, we walked over to this door right here and opened it up, and, and people were running around. And, and as a pastor, I was like, well, I have to do something. I'm, I'm a leader here. I, I mean, my first, in, in my first just like reaction was get out of here. And uh, there was a lot of people in here. And so I, I turned from that door over there. I turned around, and I said, everybody, we got to get out now. Got to go outside and hurry. And then, of course, everyone does hurry. They rush. There's like panic. Um, and, I, and so I said, calmly, calmly go outside. And, and people, people followed us out that door right there. And then <clears throat> me and Erica got in our car, and we drove, started driving, and we felt safe in the car. And we started praying, and Erica asked the question, why would someone do that? Why would someone come into a church with a gun? We didn't know anything at that point um, other than there's mass confusion and people running everywhere. And so we prayed, and we, we asked God's protection over this building. And then as we were driving around, we saw the minivan. At that, at that point, we had no idea what was going on in, inside the church. Um, and we, we pulled up, and there was there was someone on the ground, and and I now know that he was he was the dad, David David Works, who who'd got shot in the stomach, and and I was I was the first one there to help him, and, and I didn't I don't know too much medically, and so I just stayed there. I held his hand, had one hand on his hand, and I was holding his back and just telling him that that the police are going to be here soon, and the ambulance is coming, and just to hold on and and it, it's going to be okay. I, I did I prayed with him, and. Um, and he ended up making it. You know, the story is that he, he's in the hospital right now, but um, right next to him um, were, the, were the two girls that didn't make it, and I, I saw them there. And that is, is something I can't, I can't forget that, and I'm sure the, the father can't forget that. And I bring that up in here, and some of you, I'm sure, as, as well as I am, are still dealing with it. And I even, me and Erica even went and saw some counselors, and then a counselor dude came to New Life, and kind of helped us as a staff. But when we're counseling, what do we need to, to how do we counsel people through that? And both, both counselors said, it's okay to ask why. It's okay to ask why. And I've done that this, this past week. Why in the world? And I have even questioned God. Why in the world, God, would you allow that to happen if you're all powerful and you're all good? And it's okay to ask why. And I've, I've spent time thinking about that and even crying through that. And 
and asking why would God do that. And, and one of the things that the other counselor said is, is it's okay to ask why, but it's, it's really not when someone's questioning why and, and sitting there saying, why would this happen? Why would such a horrible thing happen? Is, is to not just give them an answer and not to just say, oh, it, give them maybe a cliche answer that's maybe even true and to say, oh, that's the work of Satan or, oh, God is going to work that all out for good and to give them answer and say, oh, it has to do with free will. And, and all these things may be true. They may be very true. But in that time of questioning, what I think people really need to hear, and listen carefully to this because this is the main point of this morning, is, is the point of why Jesus came, incarnation, that he came from a virgin, that he was 100% God and 100% man at the same time. Those are all theological things, but they have a profound influence on on our faith and when someone's questioning even when i've been questioning this whole week why did i have to see that why was i there and and why did those two girls not make it i've questioned why where were you god and why would you allow this to happen i've thought about those things the answer and it's not really even an answer it's 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 something that is comforting to me at least is to say that jesus our god and savior is not in the clouds that, that he came to this earth in the form of a human, totally human, totally God, and that our God is one who suffers with us. Our God suffers with us. And so I don't know where some of you were, were closer than others, and maybe some of you this week have been suffering and thinking and, and crying through that. And I want to tell you that the place where Jesus is right now is that he is with you, and as you suffer... He is suffering as well. Isn't that a message of truth and grace to us all? Isn't that a message that says, you know what? We don't need to explain the answers why. Maybe we'll know some more answers in heaven as, as to specifics as to why God would allow this. But he's not far off. He's right here and he's suffering with you. And that's, that's something that... I still need to, to, I tried to visit David, the, the dad in the hospital the other day, and um, he wasn't able to meet with anybody at the time. And I want to meet with him again. And, and I was kind of running through the scenario of what would, what would I say to him when I see him? And I think the big thing is that I want to tell him that Jesus is suffering with you. I mean, I can't imagine losing two, two of his daughters. And I just can't imagine that. And and being shot himself in it, and the, the tragedy of the whole thing, that Jesus, that Jesus is right there, suffering with you, is, is such a powerful message. And it, and it is a Christmas message, because that, we know that the baby who's in the manger grew up and, and lived only to suffer and to die on the cross. That's the fulfillment of the baby in the manger. I want to read a, a story about the incarnation. It's it's a maybe a little bit lighter, but it's a it's a powerful story. It says, "The man to whom I'm going to introduce you now is not was not a Scrooge. He was a kind, decent, mostly good man. He was generous to his family, upright in his dealings with other men, but he just didn't believe in all the incarnation stuff that churches proclaim at Christmas time. It just didn't make sense that he too." Uh, and it just didn't make sense. And he was too honest to pretend otherwise. 
He just couldn't swallow the Jesus story about God coming to earth as a man. I'm truly sorry to distress you, he told his wife, but I'm not going with you to the Christmas Eve service. He said he didn't feel, he said he didn't want to feel like a hypocrite, that he'd much rather just stay home, but that he, he would wait up for them. And so he stayed up as they went to the midnight service. Shortly after the family drove away, snow began to fall. He went to the window to watch the flurries get heavier and heavier and then went back to his fireside chair and began to read the newspaper. Minutes later, he, started, uh, he was startled by a thud and a sound that hit the window, another thud, another sort of thump. And at first he thought kids were throwing snowballs against his living room window. But as he went to the front door to investigate, he found a flock of birds huddled miserably in the snow. They had been caught in the storm and in desperate search for shelter, tried to fly through his large landscaped window. Well, he couldn't let the poor creatures lie there and just freeze. So he remembered that the barn where his children stabled their horses, that they could, that, that could provide a warm shelter if he could direct the birds to it. Quickly he put on his coat, galoshes, and trampled through the deepening snow. He opened the doors wide open and turned on the light, but the, the, but the birds did not come in. He figured uh, food would entice them, so he hurried back to the house, fetched some breadcrumbs, sprinkled them on the snow, making a trail to the, to the yellow-lighted barn stable. But to his dismay, the birds ignored the breadcrumbs and continued to flap helplessly in the snow. He tried to catch them or tried to shoo them into the barn by walking around and waving his arms. Instead, they were scattered in every direction except into the warm, lighted barn. And then he realized that they were afraid of him, to them, he reasoned, I am a strange and terrifying creature. If only I could think of some way to let them know that they could trust me, that I am not trying to hurt them, but trying to help them. But how? Because any move that he made would frighten them away and confuse them. He just, they would just not follow him. They would not be led or shooed because they feared him. If only I could be a bird, he thought to himself, and mingled with them and could speak their language. Then I could tell them not to be afraid. Then I could show them the way to the, the warm, the safe barn but I would have to be one of them so that I could see and understand, and they, they could see and understand. At that moment, church bells began to ring. The sound reached his ears above the wind, and he stood there listening to the bells, listening to the bells pleading the glad tidings of Christmas. And he sank to his knees in the snow. Let's pray. God, we come to you as, as our Savior right now, Jesus. We come to you and in the midst of, of sound theology that says that you are God, that uh, God that died on the cross, we just stand amazed by that. And God, in this Christmas season, as we celebrate the incarnation, how you, God, came to this earth and showed us the way. Like the man that may lead, the, in the story of the man leading the birds to the barn, you showed us the way to salvation, Jesus. And our understanding of that is, is so, needs, we need to glorify you, God, in our understanding of the incarnation, how that can possibly be true. But God, we praise you for it. We praise you in the midst of suffering. We praise you in the midst of joy. We praise you in the midst of whatever we're going through, good times or bad, that God, you are a God who has been there with us. You suffer when we suffer. God, you are a God of joy and honor and truth. And so, Jesus, we praise you right now as we leave the mill Sunday school and go on to church and as we live our lives and, and go on to the mill. God, we, me, we 
church, God, would you let us glorify you? May we glorify you with our life, Jesus. Lead others to you, especially in this Christmas season when so many are just opened to the message of the gift of God through Jesus Christ. And so, Jesus, we praise you, we honor you, and we love you. And it's in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, everyone, leave in joy knowing that God is with you.